0: The podcast is also sponsored by my good friend Tiger at It's Tiger Music on Instagram at ITZTiger.Music. You can find all his work on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. He does all the music and tracks for the BlockHash podcast. Go check him out. Also, don't forget to check out BlockHash Plus on Patreon. This is something that's new where you can learn more about trading, technical analysis, and charting all for the price of two cups of coffee a month. That's pretty damn cheap. Sign up at patreon.com slash blockhash. And last but definitely not least, Blockhash is offering consulting for all your blockchain needs. Buying, exchanging, selling, safe storage, tokenization, NFT creation, point of sale, you name it. We can help you. Go to blockhashpodcast.com slash consulting and let's talk. Hello guys, it is Friday, March 12th, episode 116, and today I have Jonathan Victor, product manager for Protocol Labs. Protocol Labs is building the next generation of the internet through Filecoin and IPFS. Filecoin is helping create decentralized storage for the internet, and IPFS powers the distributed web and Web3. Don't worry, we'll go into all the details on what these things are and how they work and why they are beneficial. So as always, be sure to subscribe and share this episode with somebody that you think would like to learn more about blockchain, protocol labs, Filecoin, IPFS, and so much more. Enjoy. All right, John, Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing?
1: Doing all right. Thank you for having me.
0: Where are you based?
1: Uh, I'm based out of New York in uh, Brooklyn.
0: Oh, cool. Cool. I think you might be the first person I've had on the podcast is actually based out of New York. So there's a first.
1: Oh, nice. All right. Where where are you?
0: I'm based in uh, Medellin, Colombia right now. I, I live here like half half the year. So, but it's always nice here. So I don't want to ever leave.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm staring at a couple inches of snow. So I'm a little bit jealous. <laughs> yeah,
0: is, it, is it still snowy up there? What, what's the weather like?
1: Uh, I mean, today's actually been quite nice, but I still have some lingering stuff right on the the roof right next to me. So,
0: jeez. Oh, yeah. yeah, I heard the U.S. got hit pretty hard with that whole winter front that came in. So I wasn't sure what New York was like.
1: I mean, thankfully, I think New York is generally pretty good. Uh, I think Texas really got a rough go, uh, just because they're not so used to it. But yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I felt bad for Texas. I, they don't know what snow looks like. So when <laughs> I saw the the photos and videos. I was like, shit, they're gonna have a hard time dealing with that. Yeah. Anyways, tell me a little bit about uh, yourself and your background. Like, you know, how did you come to work at Filecoin? Like, how did you actually just get into the industry in general? Like, um, what was your path to get to where you are now?
1: Yeah, uh, I think I probably have a slightly non-standard one, I guess, for Web3. Um, so I actually came into the web3 space from outside of web3 i was doing something more akin to big data consulting um so back in 2016 um i was working for this company i was doing a lot of shuttle routes uh for this consulting type gig and on those flights i would listen to talks i would read white papers uh and it was actually then when i first came across ethereum and that's when i first like really got introduced. Of course, like in college, I heard about Bitcoin and like had seen the trends, like things were popping off on the first rise up. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, uh, really, Ethereum was the first thing that really grabbed my attention, uh, where I listened to a talk from Gavin Wood. uh, I think it was from the first DevCon where he was talking about Ethereum as the global supercomputer. And I couldn't fully grok all the ways it could be used, uh, but it felt like there was something novel and interesting. Uh, So I think his talk was super successful. Um, and so it actually sparked the curiosity. And that's how I ended up starting to do a little bit more digging around things adjacent to the blockchain space as well. Um, and that's actually when I first came across the IPFS white paper. Um, and based on that, I ended up pulling on that thread, uh, listening to more talks from one uh, and really just starting to think about what would a decentralized uh, Internet actually look like. Um, mm-hmm. And then so from there, uh, honestly, it sort of lay dormant. It was something I was like just sort of as a hobby, like keeping an eye on. Um, and then a couple of years ago uh, was when I actually decided to make the leap. Uh, I got to a point where I was tired of all the flights and the travel. And I thought if I want to work on something super impactful and moonshotty, it was the time to make the leap. Um, I actually only applied to protocol labs because I thought both from IPFS and that side of things for a distributed web, as well as uh, the things we we're working on with Filecoin. Uh, both were super compelling. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, it was a bit of a wandering path and a lot of time spent uh, really just reading up and trying to build my own conviction.
0: Nice. Well, what about Ethereum, you know, piqued your interest and got you interested in the space? I know you mentioned like the fact that it could be like this global, you know, supercomputer, this global decentralized supercomputer, I guess. Um, but was it like just that fact or like all the things you could do on Ethereum or like, cause it was at a very early time back then.
1: Yeah, and I think that's what was exciting and interesting to me. Uh, And I think it was an evolving thing as well. Uh, Like when I first heard, uh, I think he called it a global singleton in that talk. uh, At the time, I was trying to grok, like, so what would you do with this computer that is running everywhere, but also is just super slow? Uh, And so that was the thing that got super, for me, at least, I was just trying to figure out how it could be used. And then Following there was the whole wave of ICOs, uh, I think the first interesting aspect that was like the DAO, uh, granted there was the hack, um, but this idea that you could have programs that are running that were uncensorable. Uh, and so long as one of these machines was running and you could have consensus still, you could still have this program execute. Um, and I, I think to me, like the thing that sort of became clear after is a lot of these problems uh, around the actual performance really came down to like research questions. And the bet that you're sort of taking is like, can you improve the technology in a way that enables it to scale, to process more and uh, really uh, enable more applications on top? Uh, And I think like quite clearly we've seen massive ramps uh, both, I mean, inside of the Ethereum ecosystem, but also on other sides with other uh, protocols and taking different approaches for consensus. Um, And so, yeah, I I mean, truly it was just this idea of like, what would you do if you have something novel? that sort of inverts the paradigm of how things work. Um, I think like truthfully, I mean, not to hop too far ahead. I think it's like one of the things that's really, really interesting with like Filecoin as well, um, where when you think about storage in a traditional context of like you store stuff uh, with an entity, uh, I think just comparing traditional storage to decentralized storage, um, like there's a lot of ways in which decentralized storage can come across as being more inefficient, where uh, you have all this additional overhead that you're working through, uh, but it gives you these unique properties that you don't have in a traditional context. Uh, and like with those unique properties means that there's functionality that just can't exist in like a Web2 type world. Uh, and I, I think that's the part that gets really exciting. Why it's like once you have that little hook, the, the only question is like, can you expand it and how far can you expand it? Yeah. Overall, I think Mm -hmm. to get back to the original thing. uh, Yeah. So for Ethereum, it was really just this idea that there's like a novel feature and the question just being, how can you use that feature in interesting ways? And like the explosion of DeFi, now NFTs, uh, I I think we're seeing more and more. And I think the patterns are becoming more obvious as well of once you have this like universally, universally accessible uh, set of information, uh, what can you do? And like, Looking at like NFTs is even like a use case of that as well. Um, Right now we're looking at like digital art. And I think there's something really fascinating about this idea of digital scarcity, but thinking even broader and like further away from that, there's something interesting about like the idea of provenance. Uh, And you think Mm -hmm. about like artists being able to have secondary transactions that flow back to themselves. You start thinking about what happens even in like the far future, if you can get like full corporations to like buy into this as well, like the idea of like an NFT Pokemon, like a Pokemon yellow that like you grew up playing, you have this Pikachu that you grew up in, like you can then have it be like a Tamagotchi, like in your phone. And like, if you make trades because you got a shiny Pokemon, like that actually has monetary value. Um, or even if you think uh, further than that, um, with like different like files uh, and like experiences that you could build, you can build like digital worlds. Um, I think what's interesting is just these like novel primitives give you the ability do things that just can't exist in like normal context, Um, Mm -hmm. which allows you to think about the world in a different paradigm.
0: Yeah. It almost feels like the people that are building this stuff today are like taking their inspiration from like things that they experienced when they were kids, you know, like Pokemon cards and video games and stuff like that. And then applying it to blockchains. I see so many of the initial use cases uh, that are like very similar to that, like trading cards and digital collectibles and stuff like that. So it's a, that's definitely been an interesting driving point for ethereum and I other think, blockchains
1: i mean a thing that I, I think we see it with like nba top shot taking off the way that it has but i think it's only a matter of time till like uh i guess like more normal like web2 companies start realizing like what does it mean if like your so like if uh nintendo or i forgot who makes magic the gathering like when they realize that they have this like cultural asset uh that like all secondary transactions, they can get like some slice of. Uh, it totally changes like how you think about monetizing that content. It's no longer about, oh, I need to like get licensing fees and like whatever else. The thing that you want is like to increase as much utility of the asset itself. You want it to show up wherever it can. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, like I, I think there's a lot of really interesting aspects to this, which I don't know. I mean, it's fun to be like working on something that's like in the vanguard of like what could change. Right.
0: Yeah, I can feel your passion for it. I have the same passion. <laughs> um, yeah, does Protocol Labs have like you know potential plans to do something other than just Filecoin where they could get into NFTs, or is that like talked about, or is that private?
1: Yeah, I mean, so high level, I think Filecoin does storage. So for your listeners who may may or may not know, Filecoin mm-hmm. answers a specific. Well, uh, <laughs> I'll define this by using IPFS as a reference, but we can talk about IPFS too if folks aren't familiar. Um, okay. Filecoin answers a specific question that IPFS raises, which is uh, if you have a network where you can reference things by content, IPFS says, so long as the network has that content, uh, it will find it for you because it does it in this decentralized or like distributed way. Uh, And what Filecoin answers is it says, how do you guarantee that that content is on a network? So if you wanna make sure that that content is accessible, Like Filecoin lets you pay someone to say like, store N number of copies. And there is like cryptographic proofs that n number of copies have been created, as well as uh, store it for this amount of time. And for that amount of time, the person who's providing the storage will provide proofs. Uh, And I think that's like the first primitive inside of like the Filecoin ecosystem. But of course it's Mm -hmm. like one of many that could be built. And I think one of the things that's really interesting when you think about uh, a decentralized cloud versus like a traditional cloud is, all of the web three has these additional primitives that can be built on top. So like for us, you can imagine like oracles and like financial services that would be built on top. Um, You can imagine even more complex like actors for us, which are sort of like uh, contracts in Ethereum, but you can imagine more and more of these services that enable functionality that just can't exist. Uh, And it's being done in an open source way. And then you have these open source APIs. And so like the rate of increase is the rate of the growth of our community Uh, versus, like, the rate of growth of Amazon or, like, Google, which, like, granted, quite large and quite fast. But, like, I think it's, like, uh, would you fight uh, one duck-sized horse or a thousand horse-sized ducks or whatever? Um, Yeah, they got the numbers backwards there. But, yeah, um, I I think there's there's a lot of, like, opportunity there for us as well. Um, So I think with regards to NFTs, I think the way that we think about this is we're trying to build the right pathways that make it really easy for people to develop. And I think there is actually a quite natural home for things like NFTs on Filecoin. Um, right now, like ma- many folks who are building NFTs in the space, I think like the evolution was first mint your NFT and like associate it with like a Dropbox or like a Google Drive or whatever else. Uh, the next evolution was like okay, recognizing that the underlying asset might change, and that could be quite bad if you've just shelled out like a thousand bucks for like whatever collectible, and so use an mm-hmm. IPFS hash instead. Uh, and I think. IPFS uh, gives you, like, these nice guarantees because you have, like, a, f- like a content fingerprint of, like, the data itself. Um, but I-, I think the next evolution of that is thinking more to, so what happens even when you think about, like, who guarantees the existence of that data? Uh, like, uh, one of our friends uh, at Pinata, they have this great blog post about, like, who pays for the Mona Lisa uh, like, is Da Vinci expected to pay for it in perpetuity? Should it be the collector. What does it mean to take control of digital assets? Um, and I think it's one of those things where Web3 needs a good native answer to those questions. And as you think about these like different evolutions of what NFTs could even be, um, so more than just we have like digital art, you want things that are bigger and more expansive, uh, and the file sizes grow from something that's like on the order of megabytes to potentially like gigabytes. Uh, it becomes much more pertinent answering this question of who who's able to pay for these things. And like in an S3 type world, like you can't just have like someone transfer all the credit cards or whatever else. Um, you want to have a native way that this can just be either paid for by the protocol or you can have it be like seamlessly transitioned to who takes over ownership of that payment process.
0: Yeah. That brings up an interesting point that I've actually never thought of before. Like take like digital art, for example, like if you have an artist who can prove provenance with like their, their creative work and they're selling their digital work, their digital art online on like OpenSea, for example, what happens when that artist passes away? Like when they're like no longer here, like God forbid, like, like people dies, <laughs> but like his secondary sales for like the rest of, um, the rest of time, like with all his art, like is it just going to keep going to that same address and no one's going to be able to access? Is there a way to like to pass that on? Like, I feel like there's like an interesting issue there too that hasn't been addressed.
1: Yeah, that, that's a great point. I hadn't thought about what happens when people pass away. Um, I think, I mean, hopefully if people has got it set up correctly, he's got like a multi-sig, he's got like <laughs> some plans for his family to be able to recover his accounts. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're like, there, there's a lot of new questions and I think this is what kind of is exciting about being in a new space is like, not a ton of definition on these things. I think people will learn best practices as they go. Uh, and I think part of it is expanding the frontier of what are people able to do, building out new primitives, making sure people are thinking about the right ways of doing things and so on.
0: How, how does the, the decentralized storage actually work though? Like, I know it's like Filecoin works on top of IPFS, but like IPFS, from my understanding, it's just a decentralized uh, storage network, correct? So that where you can access certain information, like, cause I've used it before, um, to like, you know, recall images or like website data and stuff like that. But like, how does it work like in a nutshell for those that don't understand out there that are listening?
1: So when you, when you have, when you're using IPFS, uh, you can run on node or you can pay someone to run a node for you, or you can do it in your browser as well. And what happens is when you have a piece of content, uh, you can basically ingest it through IPFS. Uh, And that creates what's called a CID or a content ID, which is like a unique fingerprint that represents, it's basically running a hash on top, but it gives you a representation of that data in a way that because it's a long enough descriptive uh, descriptive hash, such that like the only thing that would associate with it is that one specific hash. Um, That becomes the way that the the network actually uh, uh, identifies the content. So Mm -hmm. if you're storing it and someone else, like if you want to take a file that I have already added to IPFS, you could go to IPFS colon slash slash and you could request that hash. And then your node will start requesting around the nodes around it to try to find uh, the content that I have. And so it's using the DHT, a distributed hash table uh, to query around to find the copy of the data that's there. Um, And then uh, once you do find it, we'll do what's called uh, bit swap and we'll like transfer the bits over to you and then you'll finally get the file. And what's interesting is, like, now that you and I both have a file, if your listener uh, also wants that same file, we've talked about it, uh, and they request it, uh, his node will start requesting from both of ours, and we'll both, like, start transferring the data to them. Um, and so, eventually, like, they'll be able to get additional copies. And so, like, part of the the, the interesting component here is as more and more people are storing things on IPFS, uh, the faster it is to retrieve that content. Uh, okay. So Filecoin uses uh, actually IPFS under the hood. Uh, So like if you were to download Lotus, which is one of the implementations of Filecoin and you run it, uh, you'll see that there's actually a bunch of IPFS things that are already coming pre-installed. And in fact, you could uh, dial using IPFS, you could request out of a Lotus miner, so like a Filecoin miner, you could request a file. And if they were willing to give it for free, they could send it back to you. Um, So that's a thing that's already possible. but Filecoin basically adds in additional primitives on top that give you those additional guarantees I was talking about for like storage proof, uh, so for space time, as well as for uh, replication, so power up. Um, yeah, so like under the hood, Filecoin is actually using IPFS. It's also using libp2p, like the whole suite of protocol labs protocols uh, are getting bundled in, um, but it's being used to build up to this uh, this permanent layer.
0: Yeah. I, I actually got my SAFT for a uh, file coin. So I invested in, in a few years back. Um, so it finally started unlocking this fall and I got all this file coin now. Like, what can I use it for? Like, how do I use my file coin? Or like, what's the, the best way to use it?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So th- there's a couple ways of doing it right now. Um, so obviously the, the easiest uh, way to do things is if you want to store stuff, um, you, you could actually just pay for storage yourself. So if you wanted to go make a deal, and like back up your files and things like that. Um, that's totally an option. Uh, there's also services that are being built. Um, so right now, um, like Voodfy is building a transcoding platform. So like, if you wanted to upload uh, this, well, this podcast is, I think, just going to be audio. But if you wanted to upload a video of this, you would be able to have that archived directly onto Filecoin. Um mm-hmm. th- So there, there's like a number of different applications. Like Valis is another team. They're building. Uh, basically like a distributed package manager that uses IPFS and Filecoin. Um, so there are services that you could use to pay for it. You can also help support miners. So part of the Filecoin protocol uh, requires miners to put up collateral. Um, so like you storing things uh, as part of like the economic model of Filecoin, um, miners provide collateral so that there's like economic penalties if they don't actually provide the services that, uh, services that they're expected to. Um, So you, as an investor of Filecoin, you can provide loans uh, to the miners. Uh, They'll be earning block rewards. So there's a guarantee, like, income stream coming back so long as they're a good counterparty. um, And you can earn a return that way. Um, There's teams that are actually setting up uh, full ecosystem funds. So Fambushi, uh, which is a venture capital firm in China, uh, they've actually set up, uh, I think it's the first, uh, like Filecoin-denominated investment fund for uh, other folks in our ecosystem. So yeah, there's a few options
0: there. I also saw that you guys can monetize like your hard drive space. Like when you guys say that, like, is it like I download like a Chrome extension and I use like my max extra hard drive space or is it similar to like proof of work mining where I have to go buy hard drives to like do this? So I'm kind of curious, like how that process works because I haven't seen that before.
1: Yeah. So I think. It's probably harder to do that uh, right now. So there's uh-huh. various components of Filecoin that I think are probably worth calling out. So there's the storage half of the market, uh, which is what exists today. And that requires pretty intense compute uh, in order to like participate. Um, but there, there's other parts that are lighter. So like a retrieval market uh, and like helping build out those components, uh, it's by, those are the places where you might be able to do uh, a little more with just like a standard computer. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I I think the sort of like download and play is maybe a little bit harder uh, than what it will be in the hopefully not so distant future. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, like one of the things that we're looking at as well is like, how do we make this retrieval story much simpler and easier for folks? Looking at how we even make it simpler to like bridge between IPFS and Filecoin. um, There's a whole layer of like the dev UX side that we're really focused on in the coming year.
0: Yeah. Is it easy to learn that though? Or does is there a lot of technical know-how or is it more plug and play? Because I mean, I haven't seen anything similar to like what you can do with Filecoin um, other than like proof of work in the past, but that's always been like super complicated. You always got to download all these different softwares and you got to build very complicated uh, computers and mining rigs. And I've done it too. And it's very difficult. Um, I, but drop uh, Dropbox, sorry. <laughs> Filecoin sounds... Uh, much much easier in a way to do is is that true or is there still a lot of um technical know-how that goes into it
1: i think right now there is like a decent amount of technical know-how that goes in and i think that's just like it's early days in the network there's a lot that has Mm -hmm. to be like managed so i wouldn't recommend the average user to just go in like guns blazing i will say if there are folks who are interested we have like a really thriving mining community they're actually really supportive of each other um I think, so there are places where like, for folks who are interested, uh, there's channels where we can like get them in touch. Uh, maybe I can plug falcoinio slash Slack uh, is the way to join our Slack channel. Um, but yeah, um, so if folks are interested, uh, you can come on in. Uh, there's plenty of folks who can help you get started.
0: Is it expensive to use the network to store something like compared to like Dropbox or Google Drive or something like that? Like if I had a video or a photo or something like that, that I wanted to store on the network, is that going to cost a bunch of money to do that? Or is that relatively inexpensive?
1: So it's interesting is our economic model uh, is actually quite interesting. So we have, uh, there, there's a notion of Filecoin Plus, uh, and then there's like just default Filecoin. Filecoin Plus is this like social trust layer that sits on top of Filecoin, where if you were a client, uh, you can basically get what's called DataCap, cap, uh, which will heavily incentivize miners to take deals from you. DataCap isn't like Filecoin. It's not like something you can go to an exchange and just buy. What it does is it means for miners who take deals from clients who have data cap, They'll get a higher representation in the power table, um, and so there's a whole like distributed governance side of this, which is maybe <laughs> a bit of a, a long conversation. But what's really fascinating is it basically enables hyper cheap storage to the point where it's basically free, if not sometimes even profitable for like you to store on Filecoin, um, which creates like a heavy incentive to like yank clients in. Uh, which especially in the early days uh, makes it really easy to then at least create an incentive for folks who have to work through any dif- like difficulty with like the developer experience uh to yeah uh, have an incentive to do so
0: so the the incentive does that make it less expensive to use in that work
1: yeah uh, so it is basically free if you're using filecoin plus like if you're storing and like the more data you store the cheaper it ends up being so like i think for folks who are storing i think it's like four gigabytes or more, like you'll basically be able to store that for free with anyone, uh, almost anyone, um, four gigabytes or more. Um, And this is really just because the way Filecoin Plus works, so like you'll get allocated some data cap when the miner takes your deal, our power table, which like calculates the probability which a miner can get uh, block rewards, it will like increase for the size of that deal by like 10X the power. Um mm-hmm. so it's like substantial rewards for a miner who wants to participate and take your deal. Uh and so like you'll actually see this on the network where miners are like hyper competitive to take deals that uh clients are trying to make uh using that.
0: What about like web hosting? Like if I wanted to let's say put the podcast on Filecoin or I wanted to put um like this episode um like on using Filecoin like on IPFS or something like that. Like is that a possibility as well?
1: 100%. Yeah. And there's teams that have already made this really easy to do. Uh, so mm-hmm. Fleek actually just launched. So Fleek uh, enables uh, hosting on IPFS. They just unlo- uh, unleashed uh, Space Demon, which actually will do backups to Filecoin as well. Um, so if you wanted to put things on IPFS and then have it get pushed into a permanence layer as well, uh, they would do that on your behalf. Uh, and they'll give you like the CID. So if you want to retrieve it, port yourself, you could do that as well. Um And like, especially given uh, like we're working on that uh, developer experience side, like having partners like Fleet, Textile, Pinata, places where it becomes really easy for you as an end user to actually make use of the services without having to go through the pain uh, is pretty great.
0: Well, shit, that's what I want to do. I want to have my podcast on IPFS.
1: (laughs) I'll hook you up with Harrison. Uh, I think you'd be super psyched.
0: Yeah, yeah, you gotta send me a contact. I got to figure out how to do that. That that'd be awesome to have a decentralized podcast on blockchain. Like that's like <laughs> exactly what you want. Nirvana. <laughs> pure nirvana. Yeah what what's the you know horizon look like for Protocol Labs? Like, what do you guys have plans on the roadmap for the rest of twenty twenty one? Is it mostly just growing Filecoin and um, it's awareness in the network, or do you guys have other projects you guys are considering or what's what's of importance?
1: Yeah, I think the real thing is thinking more holistically about how we enable Web3 overall. Uh, so Protocol Labs, we've built a bunch of different protocols. So IPFS, WebPOP, Filecoin are maybe the most prominent. There's a number of other ones like DRAND. Um, but really what we're trying to focus on is how do we actually accelerate the adoption of Web3 overall? Uh, And the way that we can play our part is at least making all of our protocols more easier to adopt overall, but then also, like, accelerate uh, the adoption. Uh, So some of that is through, like, specific partnerships, which enable us to, like, focus on specific use cases and knock down the pain points that would make it really tough. So a good example is we've been working with uh, the USC Shoah Foundation. Um, They preserve evidence of uh, genocide. Uh, So they do, like, video testimonies from across the world Uh, And so being able to work through that or work with them and enable the storage of their like petabyte scale catalog on Filecoin uh, and also have that be globally accessible is one of like our big goals. Uh, And Mm -hmm. this actually is like one, a really amazing use case. And there's like a ton of social value, I think, to being able to enable that. But two, it lets us focus on edge cases that really push the limits of our technology and figure out how we make that really scalable for in the future, if we want enterprises to be able to like onboard, what does it take to get like petabyte scale uh, onboarding? Um, On top of that, we're looking at other use cases as well that sort of fit uh, different molds, but also highly important. So looking at, uh, especially uh, between like that IPFS and Filecoin Filecoin pathway, how we make that super slippery so that folks who are already using IPFS, uh, but having to like potentially uh, not be able to get fully like that last mile of like, we want like an archive copy. We want to guarantee that even if like everything blew up, there's at least like some way I can retrieve my data. We want that to be always like possible. Um, so making that really, really well, well uh, paved as a path. Growing the network, like one of the things that we've been really fortunate uh, with is so far we've seen like really strong adoption. So we have teams that are actually working on different parts of this problem, even without us. Um, I know there's a number of folks uh, in China who are working on the BD side. Uh, working with like other web 2 companies to find use cases where they can like onboard folks as well. Uh, we have folks in Australia who are working with like universities. So th- there's some really exciting momentum that's already happening. so we're just like one of the pieces in this ecosystem. and like the network itself is growing massively. I think last month it crossed like three ebabytes of storage and we're growing at about a petabyte a day. So really this is all about like how do we make those entry points easier uh, for folks to keep building.
0: Yeah. When you say strong growth, are you referring to just like individuals that want to use Filecoin in the network um, and people in the community? Or are you guys getting interest from like enterprises and bigger corporations that might want to use that instead of uh, like Google or something like that for decentralized storage?
1: I think it's the full spectrum. Uh, I mean, like definitely a ton of like just like individual, like both hobbyists, but also people who are just like strongly passionate um, but I think the thing that's been surprising is like the amount of like uh, institutional uh, interest as well. Of course, like new technologies, I think it's the same thing that happened when people were first moving to the cloud. Uh, I think so. There's like a decent amount of like due diligence and things. But I think the number of folks who are who have like expressed interest in wanting to like examine like how could they make this work for their stack is like quite compelling.
0: Yeah, is what's com- most compelling to. Uh- to these enterprises, to these, uh, institutions that, you know, show interest, is it just the fact that it's cheaper that's faster? Is it the entire grocery cart or?
1: Yeah, I, I think you're going to get a different answer from different folks. Uh, so mm-hmm. one set of folks, I think there's a strong draw to the idea of like anti-lock-in. Um, so being open source and like essentially what we're creating is like a two-sided marketplace, right? Like you have one side is like your clients, one side is the miners. Uh, but what it also means is that you aren't necessarily locked into like a specific provider. If like one miner is trying to like raise their prices, you're able to transfer to someone else. Uh, that doesn't exactly happen inside of an oligopoly, uh, which is something that like, especially for uh, institutions that are a little bit more resource constrained, really does matter. Um, this idea of like portability. Um, mm-hmm. Another set are really interested in the idea of like an alternative to the cloud at, I I would frame this slightly differently from like the anti-lock-in side of like you have institutions that have specific purposes. Um, So like museums uh, that some have more resources than others, but like have a strong cultural alignment with other ones. So like I won't use exact names, but I'll like create uh, like hypothetical examples here. Like you can imagine a museum in New York that has a much higher uh, amounts of like capital available. They've already invested in like Infrastructures that they already can do their own digital preservation. A similar museum in the Midwest may not have the same resources and may be much smaller. And so, like creating a liquid exchange where you could have uh, that smaller museum leverage the resources already invested, but have a proper accounting for like how much did this actually cost? And like a billing. Um, mm-hmm. This is actually something that was tried in the US. Uh, there was the digital pri- uh, public network. Uh, this is the DPN, uh, this is between like libraries and universities. And the thing that ended up falling apart causing it to fall apart was like the economic model was totally busted. Um, and that's pretty difficult, like coming up with a way to do this in a decentralized fashion. Um, and like the thing that we sort of get for free is like this entire protocol is built to sort of like enable that by default. I'm um, like for people who are providing storage to the network, they can determine like what are the rates that they want to have. Um, the network itself is compensating people for storing on the network because there's block rewards for providing security and consensus. Um, So overall, I think it's like a mixture of this like anti lock inside. There's a mixture of like the cost side. There's this uh, other thing of like this universal interface between like, like minded uh, organizations. Um, And then there's like specific things too where, like, if if you've used cloud or cloud services before, you'll know that like ingress into uh, those platforms is free. Egress costs you uh, the same as like a bandwidth transfer out. And so when you're talking about like large scales of data that can be quite expensive. And so people have also expressed interest in this idea of like, can we leverage Filecoin to potentially avoid some of those fees? So if like you're a research university in Europe and you wanna transfer like terabytes or petabytes of data across the, the Atlantic, Uh, Can you just like ship hard drives uh, and have it still plug into everyone's infrastructure? Um, Those are things that just don't really work in like uh, in a centralized cloud environment the way that it is today.
0: Well, I mean, hey, growth is growth and you guys are growing tremendously from the looks of it. And finally, you guys are out. Like it's been like three years waiting.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I will say uh, it was definitely a long time coming. And a, a lot of that was trying to like figure out the right research or the right research paths to go down and make sure that we're building the right thing. Um, mm-hmm. I think honestly, like getting to October was the first big milestone, uh, but honestly, it was just the first, <laughs> like that was just the beginning. And I think, I mean, I speak probably for everyone at protocol labs where there's just like a lot that we already know that we want to build. And so it's just a long march to getting all of those different things out the door.
0: Well, hey, you guys are finally here and it's exciting too. Now you get to see your product in action and get to see it grow in real time versus just on paper. So um, it's interesting. We're going we're to see where it goes. Um, and your community, before we wrap up, where are they based? Mostly you guys have like a channel on Discord or Telegram or something more official or like where can people go to like really follow all the details with Filecoin and IPFS and Protocol Labs and the whole umbrella? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So for Filecoin, uh right now, Filecoin or Slack channel is probably the best. If you just go to fogcoin.io slash Slack, uh, it will give you a token that will like automatically add you in. Uh, and then you can come say, hey, in our various channels. Um, for Protocol Labs overall, oof, I don't know if there is a single uniform thing uh, other than our Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. I think each individual protocol has been like kind of independent in that form uh ipfs uh the best place is our irc channel um i what i'll do is i can send you some links that maybe you can include in the show notes for your listeners uh and then they can go through there instead of reciting off a bunch of urls
0: yeah yeah that'd be awesome i'll put it in the show notes they have a a place to go and uh, things to click on they like that (laughs) anyways (laughs) uh John, thanks for taking the time to come on. Really appreciate uh, your time and everything. Talk about Protocol Labs, Filecoin, IPFS, uh, the whole gamut. Um, and I think everyone will definitely appreciate um, all the insight, too. So thank you.
1: Yeah, of course. Thank you.
0: Of course. Stay healthy, stay safe, and talk to you soon.